Peer Review is a series of podcasts designed to shed light on the extraordinary breadth and diversity of talent that sit in the House of Lords. The House of Lords often gets a bad rap because it is thought to be a house of cronies and it is an unelected house. But I hope through these interviews you will see that there is this extraordinary talent, there is a great knowledge and experience, and with that I leave you to draw your own conclusions. Well, my guest today is Paul Boating, uh, Baron Boating of Akiem and Wembley. What a fine combination that is. (laughs) And of course, it's a combination that shows the two places which have been very important in your life. Paul, I, I sort of really came across you when we were both at the Oxford Union debating, and I was blown away by your oratory, and I sort of had a quick look and saw that actually you were a Baptist minister as well. Methodist. Methodist. <laughs> Methodist. Sorry, correct that. <laughs> Methodist minister, and really you're an incredible orator. And part of that is uh, obviously you've learned through politics, but through the ministry you must have really got the message across. You were known in the early days as a bit of a firebrand, and it's probably not unreasonable given the re- re- really quite extraordinary childhood you had. You, you moved to Accra when you were four, moved back to Accra. Well, I was born in, in, in Hackney. Um, my mother and father met um, when he was studying to be a lawyer and she uh, a teacher. They got married uh, and had me. Uh, and we then went back three or three or four, I think just yeah, probably three. Um, we went back to what was then the Gold Coast. Uh, and is and now Ghana. Now Ghana. And my uh christening took place actually in my father's village uh, in the eastern region of Ghana, in a, a place called Old Tafo in Achim, Achim Tafo. Hence my hence my my title. And it was um, a very interesting time. My parents uh, were a mixed marriage, which itself at the time was very, very rare, and which had its own issues. The only place they could find to live uh, was my uh, grandparents. Uh, Your mother was white. My mother was white. My father was black. My mother was of Scottish origin, but a Londoner. And my father was from the Gold Coast, Ghana, as it became. And that was, it was extremely unusual at that time and frowned upon. Uh, and they had a very tough, tough time. But of course, when they went to, to Ghana to go to the Gold Coast, they were part of uh, a movement for colonial freedom. Uh, my father was a lawyer for the Convention People's Party, which was the uh, political party of change and independence now. My mother had been a, a political activist within the Labour Party for colonial freedom when they when they met. So it was a very political background. <laughs> it was also a very uh, Christian background in the sense that my parents had waited until uh, they got me back uh, to the Gold Coast to christen me because they wanted me to be christened in the church that my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, mm. had founded uh, in his in his village, much to the fury of the local uh, fetish priests. So politics and religion <laughs> were very much part 
of my life from the word go. And in and, Ghana, it still isn't to a certain extent. The, I mean, yes. they, they're building this wonderful cathedral. And it, it's still it's still very much a society where religion matters, mm. as of course it does, you know, in two thirds of the world. And I think sometimes we forget this. We're so secular yeah. in the UK that we forget how yeah. much the life of the spirit means to so many billions of people particularly in, in, Africa. in the world, and particularly in Africa. In, in, in in Africa. So it was a turbulent time in Africa. I mean, my dad would come home uh, from the assizes uh, in his car, and there'd be holes in the front of it. Um, and I'd say, I'd say to my mum and dad, what, what was that? Say, oh, don't worry, dear. Somebody was just <laughs> taking a, a pot shot at dad. <laughs> I mean, that's literally how it was put to me. So that that sort of political violence, <laughs> and it was normalized because that was the way they handled it uh and your father was then imprisoned wasn't he many years later my father um became um was a very successful lawyer i mean uh, but he became in 1961 uh, a um a, a cabinet minister uh at, at at a very at a very he was the youngest uh, cabinet minister in Ghanaian history, actually, he was what thirty-one, thirty-two. He was a very, he was a very young man, uh, and he was uh, active uh, politically until nineteen sixty-six, when there was a coup d'état, uh, and he was flung into prison uh, without trial. And we had to flee uh, the country. Um, my, I, I was at one stage put up in front of my class at school and said, "Your father should be shot." I mean, it was a very difficult time. So we fled with two suitcases, literally, and my sister, my 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 mother, myself, and my sister. And we ended up on a council estate in a place called Hemel Hempstead, a new town in West Hertfordshire. Because fortunately, my mum had always retained her teaching qualification and practice. And so in those days, they were so short of teachers that if you were a teacher, you could get a job almost immediately. And with the job in a new town came a house, a council house. So you had four years at least of not seeing your father. Yeah, four and a half, four and a half years. Yeah, it was at, a very traumatic time. At, and also quite a quite a important time in your life. Yeah, but you grew up, I mean, children, young people are very adaptable. I grew up very quickly, mm. you know, uh, when the soldiers came to the house to arrest my my dad, you know, they ransacked everything. Uh, they, they even, they even took a cake that my mother had baked the night before. All that was left was this ring, which I wear to this uh, uh, to this day, which fell out of the bed. You know, black stone in, black, a, yeah, in jet, a gold. Jet and gold. And my f- headmaster in the UK, VJ Wrigley, I'll never ever forget forget him and my debt of gratitude to him in this grammar school on the council estate. My headmaster, once he understood the significance of the ring to me allowed me to wear it, even though jewellery was forbidden at school. Mm-hmm. And it was typical of the, uh, of the man. And, uh, it, but it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a traumatic time, but it was also a funny time. I mean, I'll never forget my first day at school. My, um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> my the headmaster uh, said to me, as we left his study, he said, now get into your whites. <laughs> so I, I put on my cricket whites. He then led me out into uh, the fi- the field, 
and said to the assembled guys, this is Boateng. Here's the reason why this year the under-16s are going to be in the county championship finals. Now, you probably the, thought you were a West Indian well, fast bowler. This was the <laughs> this was the problem because he had confused Ghana with Guyana. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> because Ghanaians, <laughs> we play football. Yeah. I'm an Arsenal supporter. Yeah. I don't know. I've got my wife is from Barbados. She she plays uh, cricket and understands. I never understood. <laughs> so, but so it, it was. But I we I never actually played for the school. I did, however, within a very short time become captain of the debating team and we did win the county championship in that and it was it was organized by the english speaking union yeah which is a fantastic which is a fantastic organization i subsequently became chairman of it yeah um but uh, at the, and i i won a cup and you know it was hugely important because we'd lost everything and had nothing really and winning the cup was just a sign to me at the age of... 15. Do possessions mean anything to you now, having lost everything? They don't mean the same, if you know what I mean. Uh, because what I know, what, what got us through that time was my mother's love, the warm, caring family she created, the relationship with our friends and with God. Yeah. And that at the end of the day. Where does the fire brand come from? Well, it, I think it, it comes from my my parents, my upbringing, my faith, the situation I found myself. I mean, you know, St. Augustine of Hippo, who is actually an African state, a saint. His, his mother was a Berber from North Africa. St. Augustine of Hippo has a wonderful saying that uh, hope has two beautiful daughters. Anger at the way things are and courage to do something mm. about it. And my uh, uh, life has really um, been characterized by a sense of, of hopefulness, um, hoping for a better life for oneself, for one's neighbors, uh, for the community and country in which in which you you lived uh, and with that came anger at injustice mm. and you know let's not kid ourselves uh you know Jonathan, we were uh, the 1960s um there was a great deal to be angry about still is in my view <laughs> and there still is a lot to be angry about there yeah. was deep rooted injustice in yeah. our society uh, you know um th there was apartheid in south africa there was uh, racism at, at at home i mean i'll never forget the the day after enoch powell's speech uh, someone shouting at me on my way back from school um using the n word and telling me to go home and, of course, you became a, a trailblazer like your father, in a way. You, you decided to become a solicitor. You majored on civil rights in particular, which yeah. you, you've talked so passionately about. I mean, you must be one of the first black barristers. Well, I became a, a solicitor because I wanted to work in a law center. And in the law center movement in 19, when was it, 74, um, you could, you had to be a solicitor in order to work in a law center. This was a community legal resource. 
not-for-profit working in the community on issues around housing, domestic domestic violence, uh, juvenile crime, employment rights, all those all those issues, and working for everybody regardless uh, of uh, of means. Uh, and I, you had to be a solicitor to work in in a law center, so I became a solicitor. But I was always a solicitor. Uh, advocate. But yes, uh, that in, in 1974-75, when I started to practice, there were two black practicing solicitors in London, mm-hmm. uh, Colin Bob Semple and, and, and myself. They were more, more barristers, but two practicing high street, uh, high street solicitors. Things have changed. Yeah. Uh, things have changed uh, uh, dramatically. Now there are many more solicitors, both in the high street and indeed in, in the city. That was not the case in 1974-75. And then in 1981, you, you put on your political hat because presumably you felt that was the way you could enact change greater and, and join the GLC. Uh, was Ken Livingston leader then? No. No. Uh, when, I was a, uh, when I was a candidate, when I became, I mean, I've been a member of the Labour Party since 1966. Don't I mean, need, I joined the Labour Party. Don't need to excuse yourself. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> I became a member of the Labour Party, you know, during during the Wilson uh, Wilson era as a Labour Party uh, young young socialist. But I've never seen uh, Jonathan. I've never seen um, uh, politics as a career. And I always say to young people. Uh, you know, it, you, whatever, whatever, wherever you are politically on the spectrum, left, right, or centre, please, 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 see politics as a vocation, as a calling. Make your make your 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 name, your 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 living, develop your sense of self in some other field. Yeah. So, so it's from eighty one to two thousand and five when you were involved in politics of the GLC and as an MP for Brent South. That is bookended by your career as a lawyer and, you know, your advocacy of human rights and that's the incredible what, things you've done after Yeah, that. I mean, that's what drew, what drew me into elected politics uh, at the age of 30 uh, uh, was the fact that I, I realised that, it, that and through being the legal advisor to a group of remarkable women uh, black women from South London in the Scrap Sus campaign, the Vagrancy Act that was used disproportionately against black young people, criminalized them. These women saw what was happening to their sons and grandsons, got together, formed a campaign, and ultimately managed to change the law. And I was there. I was their, their legal advisor. And that's when I first began to lobby parliament and parliamentarians, lobby people in local government. And I realized, frankly, that none of the political parties were actually delivering in the in the issue of racial in the racial justice, and that the if you looked at the at, there were no black members of parliament, there was literally less than a handful of black local people of color uh, 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 local council, local councillors, and I thought that had to change. Well, you became an MP in 1987 for yeah. Brent South, as I said. Your talent was spotted immediately by Neil Kinnock, who apparently thought you were a moderate. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Well, I mean, I have never liked these, box, these, <laughs> no, no, these boxes of left, right, moderate, far brand or whatever. I'm an activist. Uh, I, I, hope, 
I'm an activist who seeks always to build bridges and make a difference, to build bridges across political divides, to build bridges across ideological and racial, ethnic, religious uh, divides, and to change stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, I am prepared uh, to uh, dialogue uh, in that process, prepared to make the compromises that politics requires if actually you are to change uh, anything. Now, if that makes me a moderate, so be it. But it's not certainly not how I see myself. <laughs> I see myself as an activist yeah. on the progressive wing of politics. Do I make calls, calls with conservatives on occasion? Yes, I did. On the Scrap Sus campaign, you know, let's not forget. Tell us what the scraps. Well, the scrap. The, this was a campaign to scrap Section Four of the Vacancy Act that was used disproportionately against Black youth and criminalised large sections of them. The Labour Party, the Labour government at the time, actively resisted Jim Callaghan, uh, 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 Merlin Rees, and others, the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary, actively resisted uh, the uh, 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 ab abolition of Section Four. It took. A Home Affairs Select Committee to which the Scrap Sus campaign and the Runnymede Trust and others made representations. It took a select committee led by a conservative, Sir John Wheeler, the MP for Paddington, uh, a, a Thatcherite uh, uh, through and through. But it took his committee uh, to finally recommend its abolition. And it was Margaret Thatcher's government, not a Labour government, that abolished Section 4 of the Vacancy Act. So, you know, I've always taken the view that you identify what needs to be done, what is right, and you work with anybody, whatever their political persuasion, in order to, no, in order, in order to achieve it. It's slightly surprising that in 97, you were made a Minister of Health. And then I can totally understand you become a Minister of State in the, in the Home Office. And you, uh, you were able to set about the Youth Citizen and Social Challenge program. You know, it's understandable the Home Office. Uh, I slightly found you going to miss a help sort of round peg in a square hole. Well, no, uh, no actually. I mean, I was really pleased to be working for Frank Dobson, who was it, a it man. It should be said you were the first black minister. I was, a, I was the first. And then the first black cabinet, cabinet minister, minister yeah. which is. Uh, I mean, which, I was. I was pleased to be a minister yeah. in a team led by uh, Frank Dobson. And I have been active in making demands on local authorities in the area of social services and housing. So that was no, uh, I was just happy uh, to be yeah. involved in a groundbreaking uh, Labour government in, what, in, in whatever role. And, and then you became Chief Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, I did indeed. Uh, under Gordon Brown. No, I became Chief Secretary of the Treasury under Tony Blair. Under Tony Blair, of course no, I, it was. I, I Sorry, had left, yes. I had left politics by the time Gordon Brown yes, of became had, Prime yeah, Minister. Of but uh, I, I was uh, in the Treasury uh, as a cabinet minister at the same time as Gordon Brown was uh, was Chancellor. And yes, to, that's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry, no, not uh, not 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 as Prime yeah, Minister, but as the Chancellor. chancellor. Uh, and to see these uh, two great. Uh, Beasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> political beasts, yes, that's one way of putting it. To see them at close quarter was itself an education. In what way? Uh, to see two powerful, um, forceful intellects, uh, very different men finding themselves in the same space and delivering uh, on an ambitious program and delivering. I mean, delivering uh, on uh, child poverty, delivering 
uh, on uh, international development, delivering uh, on reform. But as Chief Secretary, you must have seen the tensions. Oh, yes, I did indeed. And even in those early days. And had to manage the tensions, Even in those early days. Undoubtedly. Of course, there were tensions. There are always tensions. Uh, in, 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 In government between number 10 and number 11, there were particular tensions uh, in that government between uh, Tony and Gordon. It's a job of the Chief Secretary uh, to deliver to the Prime Minister, but to do so within the office of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. But your, your, your main ser- control is spending, isn't it, and keeping and control? Keeping control of public spending, and in my case also responsibility for uh, productivity. Uh, so, you know, it, it, was, it was a privilege. I was a longest-serving Labour uh, Chief Secretary, uh, but I, have, I felt, certainly, uh, by uh, 2005 that I'd done my bit. I didn't want to spend my whole active uh, working uh, life uh, in the United Kingdom. I wanted to work in Africa. The job in South Africa came up, uh, and I asked the Prime Minister for it. The job came up before you decided to stand down yes, as an MP. exactly. Because I wouldn't have stood down. Uh, and let, if, let's just be the, the job in South Africa was High Commissioner, which yeah. was is an incredibly important political uh, British. It's non-political. In, it's, a, it's representing Britain in South Africa. It is a significant posting for a strategic partner on the continent of Africa. And it was one where I had, in addition, specific responsibility for the delivery of the Africa Commission's report, which was a report set up by Tony Blair and Gordon Brown of a commission whose membership was majority African uh, uh, to deliver the UK's and Africa's international development objectives. So to have responsibility for, for that as High Commissioner was uh, a job, frankly, that uh, was made for me as I saw it, and I was very, very pleased when I got it. And so you were there just post the um, the great Mandela era yes. and had the second president, was Thabo Mbeki, as president. It was a sort of transition period. You both, I think, cooperated on Zimbabwe. and It was a tough time in, in many ways. Uh, for uh, South Africa, uh, for uh, Britain in Africa, and for Africa. But it was also a time of opportunity. Uh, And it was a privilege to work there at such a time. But I saw the transition not only between the Mandela government and the Mbeki government, um, but also the transition between the Mbeki government and the Zuma government, which was a much more difficult. And Becky had to stand down for prosecuting Zuma, if my memory serves Well, me no, right. uh, um, there was a huge political ruction yeah. and breakup was um, it inter- within the within ANC. within the ANC, and Tabo Mbeki lost lost out. But the UK's interest always was developmental. Uh, the UK's interest was in peacekeeping and development in Africa, and South Africa was a major partner in that. And I was particularly privileged because Oliver and Adelaide Tambo were friends of my parents, had lived with us in uh, in, in Ghana. Uh, I knew um, uh, Nelson Mandela. I knew uh, Tabo Mbeki. I knew Jacob Zuma. I knew all these people from my activism within the World Council of Churches who were strongly involved in the liberation struggle in South Africa. I also knew 
uh, Chief Boutalese in the opposition mm -hmm. in Carter Freedom Party, again uh, through uh, the same links uh, with the movement against apartheid in, in South Africa. So I was well placed. It was placed, a real round well egg placed, in a round hole, no yeah, question. Well placed in terms of my political and yeah. personal connections to assist the UK-Africa relationship. Which probably uh, with South Africa is not great at the moment, even though we had the pleasure no. of both it, greeting Cyril Ramaphosa when he came over. It, it, it's not, but the uh, but what is great always in terms of the relationship between South Africa and Britain is the relationship between the peoples of those two countries. So whatever's going on politically at a government level, and you know the Blair government and uh, the Mbeki government didn't see eye to eye on the issue of Zimbabwe. They didn't see eye to eye uh, on uh, uh, the uh, uh, on the Iraq. In Iraq war. I mean, you know, there were there were many differences which it was necessary to manage. But throughout uh, history, uh, including and particularly in the apartheid era, whatever governments were saying to each other at a local level, uh, relationships were strong. And let me, I, I, can, I can give you two two examples: um, the relationship uh, between the Mothers' Union in Brighton, <laughs> here in Britain, and the Mother's Union in East Brighton, in the Eastern Cape yeah. of South Africa. At the height of apartheid, uh, they were praying and working for each other. Uh, uh, they were uh, <laughs> uh, they were knitting. Uh, they were doing. They, they were having uh, jam making. They were doing all the things that Mothers Union do in order to support good causes in both places. The Datchet uh, Boys Rugby Club. While I was High Commissioner, I'll never ever forget going to the Datchet uh, Datchet Boys Rugby Club match in the Langa Township in Cape Town which was unusual because Langa was a black as opposed to a colored, quotes, unquotes, uh, 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 township. Uh, and uh, blacks in South Africa didn't play as much rugby as the, quotes, unquotes, colored community. The boys there uh, were playing a match. And it was the best of all possible outcomes. It was a rainy uh, day. And the Datchet boys who uh, I was sponsoring as high commissioner, won and won narrowly. <laughs> and then afterwards, we all went back, as you do in rugby, to uh, the clubhouse, which yeah. was a very modest affair in this very disadvantaged township. And it was wonderful to see the relationship between these two very different groups of boys, Datchet, Privileged, Hertfordshire, uh, Langer boys, you know, with all all the issues they faced. They were having oranges and cake and all the things you have. And then the Langer boys suddenly started to toy toy and sing in their in in their own language. And I wondered how our boys were going to react to this. And do you know what they did spontaneously? Broke out into a fight. They broke no, <laughs> no, they broke out into swing low sweet chat oh, with all the actions. That's wonderful. And I said, you know, whatever else happens in these young men's lives, that moment of togetherness will last forever. Yeah. And that's what sport and relationships between peoples at their best achieve. Yeah. So whatever's happening politically between the governments of South Africa and Britain, I'm confident 
that the people relationships will are strong and will endure. I'm always surprised about the breadth of your interests. I mean, you were on the board of the English National Opera for years. You were an English touring opera. You're a great and now I'm on, of Jane Austen. And now I'm on the board of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the Ballet Rambert. I mean, Britain is a very exciting place culturally, and it's great to There's be part There's no of end to your interest and your, <laughs> your energy and zeal. And some people say you've mellowed. I'm not entirely sure that's true, Paul. But <laughs> I hope I haven't mellowed. <laughs> you, know, you know, my kids, I always say to my kids, uh, you know, I'm going to be a difficult and impossible old man, to which they say, what's changed, Dad? But the beauty of the Lords, as we were saying earlier, and why it's so nice to talk to you about this, is it's not political in that regard. We, we, we debate things, we rearrange what is overtly political often, laws and regulations, and we, we bring experience into them, not in, not in my case, but in yours. And Very I, I much think, in your case. I think, that, I think that's the value of, of, of what we do. And I, all I can say is it's a huge pleasure to have you telling us about your back history because it's phenomenal. And your parents must have been unbelievably proud of you, as so many people are. Well, I'm very grateful uh, to them. And I'm grateful also, Jonathan, while we're talking about it, uh, to be part of a, a commonwealth of nations that, irrespective of race, religion, um, political systems, does have a common basis of affection and respect. Yeah. And affection and respect in our world are always in short supply. And to find them in an institution like the Commonwealth, headed as it has been over these many years uh, by Queen Elizabeth and now uh, King Charles, um, with the affection and respect uh, of all its peoples for them, but also with the love and service that they represent to this family of nations, to mm. have been part of that family and to have made some contribution to it with you and many others. It's just it's a great privilege. It is, isn't it? Paul, thanks so much. It's great to see you as always. My pleasure.